Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. And welcome to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. Special shout out to all our returning champions and new listeners. Hello, I'm Mark Ellis. I'm a stand-up comic, Rotten Tomatoes correspondent, and son of Odin. I'm Jacqueline Coley. I'm an editor at Rotten Tomatoes, where I cover independent film and awards. And I'm still laughing about the fact that Mark Ellis thinks he's a god. Did I sound as guardian at all? Uh, a little. As guardian-ish. Okay, well, look, a lot of people debate whether the Thor got his due or not, whether he got the shaft, what he was doing in a hot tub in this movie, which is why we're talking about <laughs> Avengers Age of Ultron. And it's also, Jacqueline, because WandaVision was just released on Disney+, and that stars Wanda, the Black uh, Scarlet Witch, excuse me, not Black Widow, Scarlet Witch, and Vision. And this is the first time those two lovebirds met was in Avengers Age of Ultron, or as I call it, Avengers Part 2. Uh, reminder <laughs> that y'all can get in touch with us. Let us know what movies you want us to be covering on upcoming episodes, all that sort of stuff. Whether you think our opinion was right or wrong, you can email us RT is wrong at rottentomatoes.com. That's RT is wrong at rottentomatoes.com. We are looking at a movie that is certified fresh, which is the good news, at 76%, which for any run-of-the-mill movie, Jacqueline, is pretty good numbers. It gets you into most colleges, but this is an MCU movie, and this has Avengers on the poster, so you'd think it would be in the 90s with the rest of those flicks. It does have an 83% audience score, but of all the Avengers movies, it's the lowest on the tomato meter and audience score, and when people do their MCU lists, which is now like, what, 23, 24 movies deep, they usually have Avengers Age of Ultron on the lower side of that. So we're going to get into all of that, why certain fans don't think it holds up, what it did to set up the, the future of the MCU as we now know it. whole lot of stuff to get to, plus a very special guest. Uh, before we get into all of that, Jacqueline, can you tell me <laughs> succinctly what happens in Avengers Age of Ultron? No, I can't, but I'm going <laughs> to give it a try. <laughs> All right, we continue the adventures of the Avengers. Of course, this is Earth's Mightiest Heroes. They consist of Captain America, Iron Man, Black Widow, Thor, the Hulk, Hawkeye, and we're adding some new folks into Nick Fury's best fighting machine. Tony Stark and his crew have been faced with some, we say, big challenges from outside folks. And so they decide they're going to make a robot. And so they make Ultron, that is Tony Stark and Bruce Banner, and then Ultron turns evil, kills Jarvis, and then the Avengers are off to the races to try and save the world. Along the way, they meet two 
we can't call them mutants because this is not the right universe, but that's what they are. Scarlet Witch and her brother, uh, who is Quicksilver. He's really fast. She's really weird, to quote Maria Hill. And yeah, they are sort of doing Ultron's bidding until they realize that Ultron is going to end the world. And in doing so, Ultron decides that he, as a progeny, wants to make his own. He makes his own, which becomes vision. They take the Mind Stone, Thor goes on some adventures, and it's a really, really big movie with a lot of things going on, but I still love it. Ambition is just the beginning point, and it's a nice little warning flick for all those people out there, Jacqueline. Like me and my brother were as kids, where you're trying to build a robot in your garage, and then all of a sudden you say, wait, is this even a good idea? Will I get grounded? I don't know if my mom would have grounded us if she ever caught the robot that my brother and I made. It basically consisted of stealing of three of her pots. Lucy, our producer, is a mom. Lucy, your kid is not old enough yet to be building robots as far as we know, or do we? She loves robots. Um, she could potentially be building them in her bedroom at night. I don't know. She never goes to bed. That could be the sign of a robot builder. Well, our, our special guest that we're welcoming in today, he's not only one of my good buddies, I, he might be a cyborg, as a matter of fact, because I've just never seen anybody bring so much positive energy to each and everything that he does. Not since the late, great Brody Stevens has the word positive energy so closely correlated with someone I know, and that would be a huge comic book fan, uh, incredible host, uh, director, producer, he does all the things on all the shows. He is Koi Jandru. Koi, welcome. You are now amongst your friends. I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited to weirdly talk negatively about something I feel <gasps> mostly positive about by, by way of the universe, but it's going to be a very not totally coy day because this movie's got some problems. All right, man. Well, let's roll up our sleeves and get into it then. The show is <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. The score is currently 76%. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong on this, Koi? It sounds like you think they might be. Rotten Tomatoes is wrong in that it should be fresh, but not this fresh. I'm talking 60%. I'm talking 59%. I'm talking this is a warning shot to the entire MCU of how it could have gone horribly, horribly wrong. Ooh. It should be fresh, but this movie almost set us on the wrong course for the entire future of the Empire that is the MCU. Wow. Such a myopic look at life. Call it. <laughs> take from Koi. Jacqueline is He Rotten says Tomatoes this right? after reading my article. I loved your article, and that, that is the, the basis that I usually stand by. But you look at the way this the ship got steered after this film. This is looking back at phase two through phase three lens. We can see a lot of merit, but retroactive history doesn't work for a moment in film. So Ooh. like when this initially came out, this was a series of scenes in search of a movie. When you build to new movies later that retroactively make them work, that's great. But this is one puzzle, not a series of puzzles. And this movie was a hodgepodge of trying to sell me things. It was a prequel sequel. It was Iron Man 2 all over again. It was the only movie with an Avengers thing in front of it that felt like they just went like, okay, we need to put these scenes in for later, but let's not worry about the glue that's going to hold it together. Coming and in hot. Just the Under Armour, the beats, the so many things. It felt like a Disney film, and this is the only one that feels like a Disney film. It's the only one that I felt like they were really putting their fingers in it, and they learned some lessons, and then the Russos took over, but we'll get into that later. It's just a lot. I am currently wearing Under Armour shorts as I attempt to go to the gym after we tape this broadcast. Jacqueline, 
Uh, you have written about this film extensively. You have deep thoughts on it. Do you agree with Coy? Is it a fresh movie that's just too high in the tomato meter? Or is it maybe not high enough? I mean, this is probably the last time we're going to say this on this episode, but I agree with Coy in the sense that Rotten Tomatoes is wrong, but not that it should be barely fresh in the realm of Spider-Man 2, girl. I would actually say <laughs> that this movie was judged a bit too harshly and it should make itself into that mid-level 80 um, place of like some of the secondary but still enjoyable MCU movies like, you know, the first Ant-Man. Again, not a perfect movie, had a lot of good things going for it, things like that. Um, this movie, when I really think about it, and I will get into it in more depth, it is a Simone Biles type situation in the sense of you have to take into account the difficulty. And I know that you can mm. call it retroactively making it fit, but I actually, based on what we know, think that there was a framework that they had to put in place on this. It wasn't about retroactively making this stuff work. These tent poles were laid down for the road that they went in future. And that's really what caused it to feel so disjointed. And so although it is a disjointed movie that has a ton of issues as far as like compelling narrative storytelling, for what it achieved, I give it so much of a pass. And so it's one of those situations like at the Olympics where they have to keep explaining to folks on the announcers, it's like the reason why she got a higher score, even though she had a, a lower um, execution or she messed up is because of the di difficulty. So like this is that situation where the difficulty was so high. They were asking so much of this movie that the fact that it is even, even passable is a miracle. Degree of difficulty. Uh, you have maybe hindsight being 2020. There's a lot to unpack adventures age of ultron i'm gonna go ahead and say this right now and then i might regret it later i think rotten tomatoes is wrong because i don't think that the score is high enough upon re-watching the movie and i don't think i was just putting on my 2021 glasses to watch a movie that was released in 2015 but now i have some time to think about that because as usual our friend tim ryan the rotten tomatoes expert review curator is going to come in and let us know what the critics were saying about avengers age of ultron when it was released in may of 2015 so tim buy me some time thanks mark so avengers age of ultron is sort of considered this weird disappointment in the marvel universe which is very strange if you look at it because it's certified fresh on the tomato meter it's 76 percent with 370 reviews and it's got an 83 percent audience score so what exactly is the issue you'd look at that and you say well this is this is a pretty well-reviewed movie this is this seems like a success it made a lot of money and I think the issue was that the first Avengers movie was the culmination of years and years of getting to know these heroes, watching them fight together. And it was sort of the dream come true for any one of us who sort of dreamed of like having all these superheroes from Marvel in one place. So by the time the second one rolled around, we kind of knew the formula a little bit better, and it seemed a little bit lacking by comparison. So what some of the critics have to say? In a fresh review, Dwight Brown from the National Newspaper Publishers Association wrote, There's little in this film that's new, but it doesn't matter. The characters are still entertaining, the action scenes thrilling and near orgasmic, and the human relationships touching. In a rotten review, however, James Berardinelli of Real Views wrote, Age of Ultron disappoints not because it's irredeemably bad, but because it fails to achieve the level of its predecessor in nearly every facet. When Avengers came out, there was a sense that all these superheroes together was in its own way kind of gigantic and kind of thrilling and huge. 
But what you do for an encore is, do you make it even bigger? Do you put in more superheroes? Do you make the action scenes even more bombastic? And I think that's what a lot of fans and critics struggled with a bit on this one. Not that it's necessarily terrible. It's just not quite as novel and maybe bigger in a way that doesn't feel quite as exciting. I don't know. I think it's pretty cool. I liked it. Excelsior. Um, I think Tim might be our own personal Ultron. Did you just hear how soothing his voice was? But just with a tinge of menace of of the venom (laughs) some critics might have for Age of Ultron. Tim Ryan, you are the robot that hopefully is going to put a shield around the world, but might end up destroying us all. I'm just not sure which one. So, yeah, critics were divided on this one. And, Coy, Jacqueline, I feel like a lot of it is inevitable comparisons to the first Avengers because we were so excited. And when you talk about the degree of difficulty, I thought Joss Whedon had a monster task with that first Avengers movie, getting them all together into one movie and making it coherent. So now we get a bigger story. We get more emotions out of Age of Ultron, and we certainly have a lot more to set up. But, Coy, you feel like the movie just... Is it just that it gets muddled? Is there a scene that you can point to that you say, that is what I'm talking about, where this movie is just not as fresh as the tomato meter claim? So I I think listening to Jacqueline especially, I think we'd actually agree if this wasn't an MCU film. I'm judging it on the merits, not of comic book movies, but on MCU films. This is the movie that followed Iron Man 3, Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy. This is when the MCU knew who it was And I think it lost its path very clearly in the scene that most people that love comics talk about the very shoehorned in Thor tripping balls in the water of a cave scene. Um, I'm not really sure at what point they thought they should add an element of Selvig knowing more about mystic arts than Thor. I'm not sure at what point they thought that him like imagining a future Ragnarok that they never really pay off in the films that they did so, so carefully set up in the future. And I I think I misspoke. I didn't mean that that was a retroactive improvement on the film. I mean, the film is more enjoyable retroactively for the viewer's experience because of Endgame. So because of Infinity War and Endgame, your memory of your experience in Age of Ultron improves because you know where it pays off. That's not to discredit them laying the groundwork. I'm saying when you watch the film initially, you can't give it the credit of the payoff later because it needs to be acknowledged. Like the movie itself, when you walk out and see the credits, those are moments are what you have in 2015. Now I can appreciate that the MCU is an incredible TV series that are two hour long episodes. I love that about it. It's 24 episodes of my favorite show in the world. I'm I'm an MCU junkie, as you know, but you can't end an episode and go, I bet later on I'll like that more. You need to see it for what it is in the moment, which is why Iron Man 2 didn't work because they kept trying to put stuff in there. So for me, the Thor scene of, hey, this is really going to matter later. Ignore the fact that right now it's just crazy. Really uh, establishes what the whole movie feels like for me. But when they slow down, you're getting what Joss Whedon was trying to build. When they have the farmhouse, when they have all these scenes that are actual dialogue between the Avengers, it doesn't feel like Michael Bay light. This movie has 10 third act set pieces. Jacqueline, Jacqueline, jump in there because it looks like you have strong thoughts on the, (laughs) the Thor hot tub time machine. Well, first of all, I'm sorry. There is no woman watching that movie that is going to be like, oh, they put Chris Hemsworth in it and he's naked. I'm so, oh, stop it. Stop it. Don't do it. I don't care how nonsensical it is. There's literally a story on Graham Norton where Chris Hemsworth said, no, I've been training. I'm going to show it. And so he wanted to show it. And I'm happy that he did. Going back to that scene, yes, it doesn't make any sense. Yes, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and the whole way that they set up Ragnarok is 
just bizarre because honestly, I don't think Joss knew where the hell that was going to go. And he felt like they were giving him this Herculean task. And honestly, if you want to know my personal opinion, that was a throwaway scene. That was a note that he had to do. And he's like, you got to make sure you set up Ragnarok. And so he wrote that stupid scene with Eric Selvig and he takes Thor out of the action because that's what they told him to do. Um, If you really look at it, this movie is required to set up every single standalone that they have coming up after that in some minor way. They set up Black Panther. They set up the Black Widow movie, which didn't happen originally because Joss was supposed to be the person to direct it. And that's what sort of pushed it down the list. And they they try to set up that movie. They try to set up what they hoped would be the standalone Hulk movie if they could get the rights back from Universal. They never did. And so they spread that across the two Infinity War movies. But like they're setting up so much BS and I think he just got tired of it. So I look at that scene and I thought of it at the time. I was like, this seems like a studio note. That's where I felt like people's hands were in it. And I just think he kind of broke on that one. But when you look at all the other notes that he was asked to do, especially the ones that I think he thought he was going to have a saying like civil war um there's a lot there and i right, think you know if if we make the argument that hindsight is 2020 i can also say that at the time when i was in the theater watching age of ultron i wasn't thinking when thor takes his shirt off and goes into the water like oh this is a throwaway scene first of all the one thing i was thinking is uh hashtag life goals the next thing right. i was thinking is this is cool because it's not answering the question right away now Coy, if this was like the end movie if this was avengers endgame or or return of the jedi or return of the king or something like that and we leave with a scene and it's like well, what the hell did that mean then i have problems but it's it is such an episodic feel and by this time in the mcu we were accustomed to that that i i give it a pass particularly because that's not the whole movie the, the, sure. most of the movie to me is this fun adventure combined with a deeply emotionally moving piece about the cost of being a superhero but my favorite scene is still the party scene. I mean, the party scene at the beginning, I, I love the way this movie opens because the movie opens in it and it's like you're a kid reading a giant panel because it's just this awesome action sequences. The, everybody is, is working so well as a team. They're making fun of Cap and his prudish nature. And then we get to celebrate afterwards. It's like, okay, we just won another Super Bowl. Now we're going to have the party and we have war veterans there. We have some beautiful, probably Instagram influencers there. You have folks walking <laughs> around. Everybody's trying to pick up Thor's hammer and it just it, it gives you all the feels of why you love hanging out with these characters it's not just that they're saving the world it's just that I genuinely want to be one of them or at least get a plus one to that party Koi whatever man it's a trick <laughs> please be my guest come on really yeah now, Clint you've had a tough week we won't hold it against you if you can't get it up <laughs> you know I've seen this before right yeah and I still don't know how you do it. Smell the silent judgment. Please, Stark, by all means. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Never one to shrink from an honest challenge. Uh-oh. Get after it. Here we go. It's physics. Physics. All right, so what? If I lift it, I, I then rule Asgard? Yes, of course. I will be reinstituting prima nocta. I, I totally agree, and that is why it's a very good comic book movie, but all of the things that we just let go or why it undermines the MCU quality. It is 
It is a giant 24 episode series. If you got every episode of the fly episode in Breaking Bad, it's not the same show. I love the fly episode, but that's because it's unique in that it builds to a different tone, but you can't have everything feel disjointed and let things be. Otherwise you become a not shared universe and you have to start making the Batman be separate from the rest of the movies in your universe. Ah, it's a very tricky shade. thing. It's a very the tricky shade. thing to balance it all. So I, I just think we should hold it to a certain standard where Iron Man 2 wasn't as good as Iron Man 1 and 3. And right now, this is rated right near Iron Man 3, which I think is not fair. I think Iron Man 3 is a slept-on masterpiece, whereas this should be seen with a little bit more scrutiny. We'll come back when we talk about Iron Man 3, but we're going to talk about this. <laughs> and when we talk about this, even I, I, I really want to like clarify this because I did write a lot about where this thing places in the MCU and the Herculean task that Joss Whedon was, was given to try and execute in this and all of the things that it set up. But I also just flat out enjoyed the movie. The movie itself was enjoyable to me. I will admit it was engineered to be enjoyable to me because of how many people in it they added that I love. Like first of all, when they announced James Spader as the villain and that it was going to be a voiced character, I was like, so all about it because for folks that don't know um before he was on boston legal and he got like normal and then now he's doing like uh <laughs> nbc shows james spader was weird james spader was doing like a lot of sex and weirdness back in the early 90s and late in early two thousand late 90s and early 2000s i mean he did crash which i'm not talking about the oscar winner as another movie where people have sex when they wreck cars he did sex lies and videotape he did the secretary which was like bdsm like way before 50 shades of gray that dude was a freak and like add in he was the mean guy from pretty and pink i love everything that james bader does and then for him to do this i was like they are bringing the freaks to the mcu also <laughs> aaron taylor johnson who plays quicksilver i was like all about him he was for folks that don't know he's married to sam johnson who directed him in nowhere boy really great actor and he's gorgeous like let's just be honest and he dates an older woman which means that he's very comfortable with his manhood so i'm like all about Ari taylor johnson like he's like all my dude and so those things are amazing but it has great moments and the scene that i actually love is the opening and i will tell you why because first of all yes everyone talks about language and and that but like there's just so many quotable moments from that. Language is one of them. Also, you know, big guy, sun's getting real low. Like I think about that payoff in Thor Ragnarok and like, I know that's a later thing, but still, I just love that everything that they're doing there. And the best one for me, when Tony Stark pushes open the door, when he's like going to find the like hidden room that maybe has like the Tesseract, he pushes it <laughs> and he goes, yay, just like that. He just like, he does a little like, yay. And it's just Robert Downey Jr. having so much fun playing that character that he felt the freedom to do just that little throwaway. And it was perfect. It's like, he's in that character. He's become it. It's like, they're they're stitched together at that point. And it's that way with so many of the characters. So I love I, I love the opening scene. Shit. Language. Jarvis, what's the view from upstairs? The central building is protected by some kind of energy shield. Wait a second. No one else is going to deal with the fact that Cap just said language? I know. Just slipped out. Opening scene is great, and I am such a fan of when I get to use big words like juxtaposition on this show, because when you put that opening battle sequence where we're, we have quips, we're, we're shooting bad guys, we're winning, 
And then you pair it with the end with Sokovia, where the film has all led up to this moment where Ultron is just basically going to take over the world and eradicate humanity. And so the only way to save it is we have to fight. And a lot of folks in Sokovia are going to lose their life because half of their country is getting lifted, uh, literally levitated above ground so we can fight this evil. And it's so serious and it's so dreadful. There's some moments of levity, obviously, because of the Avengers and who the cast is. But for the most part, it's just weighs on you in a way that I felt it as an audience member that I didn't feel with Avengers or any other superhero movie until that point. That is what sticks out about Age of Ultron to me is that we very rarely talk about the expense of being a superhero, the, the bodies and the lives that are lost and what that does to a superhero psyche. Because yes, you probably saved people. You probably saved more people from dying, but you still weren't able to save everybody. So you get to see some of that tortured soul that even in Batman films, it's hinted at, but it's never really pointed out if Batman has a bad night and a bunch of people die, what does that do to him? Look at Mark Ruffalo in this film when he's he's recovering from hulking out and he's realizing what he just did like dude murdered a lot of people accidentally wasn't his fault but he killed a lot of people and so to go from the first movie where it's avengers and it's fun in games and i hope we save new york and i hope all these buildings don't fall on anybody to this where no the buildings fell on a lot of people it first of all hints at stuff we're gonna get in later mcu movies things that are gonna come back from sokovia but we also just feel everything with these heroes and i think the movie sets us up like that coy i think the movie opens up we're we're on a fun adventure we're at a cool party and it says hey don't you want to be like these people okay well now see what they really go through so i most of my arguments have been narrowly looking at just this so expanding it out to comparing it and putting it in the the scope of the mcu the opening scene is actually one of the things that that really uh worked but didn't if you compare it to the rest of the mcu because there's a lot of weightlessness to it if you look at the actual action set pieces individually uh iron man has as uh, you know his quips and things but they do this thing where they undermine the jokes which you you specifically can appreciate why this doesn't work for me there's a scene where iron man's getting shot at and he's like no no stop let's talk about this that's the joke that's the beauty of it is is downey delivering that wonderfully the follow-up joke to that is him shooting this and uh shooting them all with like tranquilizers and saying like good talk that's your alley-oop that's where it lands but then they undermine all of that by having some henchmen go, no, it wasn't, which makes it not funny. It makes it a kid's movie. And these aren't kids movies. Like there's moments that are like, why didn't you trust Downey Jr. to be funny? You cast Robert Downey Jr. Like <laughs> let the moment and let the joke land. Don't show like, hey, that was a joke. And that, that kind of, uh, when the movie opened with, remember, this is funny. I was like, but this is a, an Avengers movie. This isn't a kid show. And, and also like Captain America um, throwing the motorcycle is awesome. But now we have no level of what power set Cap is. In the first Avengers, Cap is jumping around outside the helicarrier and you're worried about him because he's hundreds of feet, thousands of feet in the air. In this movie, he throws a motorcycle in the opening scene. So you're like, wait, is anyone not super powered except Hawkeye? Like there's so many moments that undermine the whole series. No, that was already established in Winter Soldier. They already made him leg man in that movie. So <laughs> yeah, no, boy, when you throw a motorcycle, you, you want to get your legs into it. For everybody listening at home, if you're throwing motorcycles as part of your workout, it's not in your back, okay? You want to stabilize your core with your quads and with your hams and your glutes. That's how, I mean, he is America's ass after all. There's a reason why he's America's <laughs> ass. Because That's just training. 
He's throwing <laughs> 10 motorcycles, three sets of that. I, I, I get that you could be confused with, with, with the powers or the level of their powers because it does seem like some of our superheroes are able to survive a lot more than they would have in films leading up to this moment. But I just, I, I kind of write that off as like, well, that's the training of being a superhero. It's like Steph Curry, his rookie season in the NBA, probably yeah. not as productive as he was five seasons into the NBA when he was probably the best point guard on planet earth. And th this film though, with, with sense of humor, I always look at the villain and, and with, with Ultron in particular, He's got because he's in the MCU, it's like, well, what you're going to be a villain and not crack jokes, but he's got such a subtle, such a dark sense of humor that I dark sense of humor, yeah, dude. I, that's I, the kicker for me. I think the sense of humor worked because it came off as menacing. Jacqueline, do you feel the same way? Absolutely, that was the other reason why, on top of it, you know getting the dude from Stargate to do it. Like it was, it was also the fact that his voice can have that sort of like venomous feel to it, but also um, be comedic. Like he could literally say something that would reference your death and you would maybe want to giggle about it. Like that is some power and you can only do that with certain voices can do that, you know? <laughs> and, and James Spader clearly has one of those voices. So I loved that everything that he was doing as Ultron. Also not the only great voice work that was going on. This is just a me thing. Um, there was a show on HBO called Rome nobody watched it but if you're like a period piece like like people in costumes person like myself it's the movie but carrie condon is in that and she actually voices friday who takes over for jarvis slash vision well takes over for jarvis when he becomes vision and i just loved uh i just love the fact that they put her voice in there because she's got a really great voice and i thought that was like a great turn from vision you got to bring in i don't know some flair to it you don't often hear like a i think she's either scottish or irish coming uh, that heavy in an MCU movie with that kind of accent. Uh, James yeah, Spader, go ahead. Yeah, I, I love through ninety percent of the film because he is James Spader, especially with you know the the, the secretary and, and all the things Jackman was speaking to. But I think that the and it might be studio, it might be Joss. But the moments that I really like are when they take their time and when they let things land and they don't undermine it with humor. That's the very wonderful balance I think the MCU has landed. Is I love the amount of quips and jokes. The Marvel comics are fun to read. That's why we read them. Even Catholic guilt-ridden Daredevil is funny because that's the tone of the world. But there's moments in this, like right seconds after Quicksilver's killed, spoiler alert for a six-year-old movie, seconds after he's killed, they cut to a James Spader joke where Hulk jumps in the Quinjet and he goes, oh, for God's sakes. And I'm like, but he just died. Let us have this moment of like mourning. And then they cut back to Hawkeye carrying him onto like an escape raft. So we're supposed to go like, oh, I feel horribly. Oh, that was kind of funny. Oh, I feel horribly. It's like, just move that edit, slide that shit 20 seconds. Let me actually be impacted for a moment. And that's kind of like another a thesis statement for my problem is every time they have Cap like fighting Ultron, there's a weird like action figure line, like, <laughs> can you keep up? And there's no other movie in the MCU where Cap is throwing out like bro slogans. It's like they were like, wait, Chris Evans is from Boston? What if he says this silly thing? And like the movie just has a lot of those moments that don't feel like the rest of the MCU in a bad way. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. 
No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I will ask you this, though, because this is the other thing, too, now is like the more... The more you talk to people about movies who make movies, the more you realize the literal like divorce proceeding level <laughs> of argument that happens when they make them. Like literally, I mean, think about the most venomous divorce you've ever thought of. And that is like one day on a movie set because it's the same situation of like, you guys are married to each other in a lot of ways and you're trying to get something done and everyone's got different priorities. And so you gotta like, argue this stuff out. And I feel like Joss Wheaton's language is reeled in by studios a lot of the time, like his broier, more problematic things. I think they let the language go on this one because of the bigger ask on the story. So I think, because if you look at Avengers and you look at this one, you can see where he got smoothed over on that one. And this one, as far as the like dialogue was concerned, it didn't feel smoothed over. Maybe it was a timing issue. I don't know. It just didn't feel as polished as far as like, this joke definitely belongs here. This joke lands, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I, 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 it's me looking past the glass a little bit and, and taking that into account, but it can't be denied. Like, I'm sorry. Like, yes, we're looking back on this with like rose tinted glasses, knowing where it goes, but you can't take that away now. Like, okay, well, people didn't appreciate Citizen Kane when it was out. It doesn't mean that we don't know that it's a masterpiece now. And if you're in now, which what we are, and you're not taking that into account, I think you're missing half of what the movie did. I think that if we were looking at Avengers Age of Ultron, I always go to the Quantum of Solace, oddly, for a comparison like this, because we all loved Casino Royale, the first Bond movie with Daniel Craig, and then Quantum of Solace came out, and we're like, what the hell was that leaving the theater? But then, at least the way I rationalized the paying 15 bucks for a ticket, because I live in LA, is, okay, well, that probably sets something up that's going to pay off in the next movie. And I don't know that Quantum of Solace did that, but I love Skyfall. And Mm. so it at least got me to the next movie. But I think what this did, it not only got us to the next movie, Avengers Age of Ultron, you had Ultron come out. And then I believe it's Ant-Man. And then you're right into Captain America's Civil War as far as MCU timeline goes. And so if you have a movie that not only sets all that stuff up, but you can enjoy a majority of that ride... But I do want to stress, it's not just that I'm like loving and shoving popcorn into my face and laughing at all the Avengers jokes and looking at all the cool action scenes. Like, I do feel a new emotional depth was reached with this movie. And one of the scenes that pretends to that is the farmhouse scene where we all, our, our heroes need, need a safe house to hide out at for a while. And so, lo and behold, Hawkeye, who the hell knew? Clint Barton's got a family. And yeah. they're cool. 
He's married to Linda <laughs> Carnalini, for God's sakes. And he's got two beautiful tykes running around. And so we all go retreat to this farm for a little bit. And you, you talk about being overwhelmed with company. Imagine having like the world's greatest heroes just all crash at your pad for a few days. And she was we so relaxed, up, by the way. She was just like, oh, I know who you are. What? So cool with it. And and she is so cool with letting her husband go play with these big boys and girls. And it's like, hey, She's let's like, remember, Clint your... ain't got any special powers, okay? Sorry, didn't call ahead. This is an agent of some kind. Gentlemen, this is Laura. I know all your names. <laughs> Ooh, incoming. Hi, <gasps> sweetheart. Hey, buddy. How you guys doing? These are Look at your face. smaller agents. Oh my goodness. Did you bring any nuts? <gasps> Why don't you hug her and find out? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for barging in on you. Yeah, we would have called ahead, but we were busy having no idea that you existed. I love your avenging. That was so cute. Yeah. Also, yeah. wait a minute. We haven't gotten, we're getting a Hawkeye television show, I think, but we hadn't gotten a Hawkeye standalone movie. But you could argue if we did that parts of this are setting that up too, because this is the most we've learned about Hawkeye in this movie. I mean, every major thing that happens with him later, as far as like emotional, is related in some way to stuff happens here. His relationship with Nat his family, like all the stuff that happens with him later. Again, I know bros colored glasses, but this movie did a lot. And I don't, I also just want to add, since we're talking about people, Andy Serkis as Ulysses Claw. Listen, I'm, I love that. He made the choice, by the way, Andy Serkis made the choice to make him South African, which was just like such a brilliant touch. And I could watch him talk about kettlefish on repeat for 24 <laughs> hours straight and it would not lose an inch of enjoyability. This is, is this your first time intimidating someone? I'm afraid, uh, I'm not that afraid. Everybody's afraid of something. Cuttlefish, deep sea fish. They make lots, disco lights, to hypnotize their prey. And then I saw a documentary, it was terrifying. This is one of those retrospect things for me. So I will side with Koi on, on this one thing is when I was watching it, because I totally forgot Andy Serkis pops up in it as Claw. And, and when I saw him, I was like, oh, right, he's in this. And I had no idea why he was in it at the time I saw it. But now I love that he's in it because I know all the things that happened <laughs> yeah. since then. So that's, that's literally me ratifying what, Cole, what, what Koi has said about this film to this point. But I, so Koi, I agree with you as far as the Claw thing goes. Here's my question about Andy Serkis, this movie. Did he, and, and again, I'm, I'm only, I'm, I don't body shame anyone. I tried to body uplift. Did he bulk up insanely for this movie? Or is that just how I, he looks all the time? I think I, he did. He's a, he's a really mobile, like the way he moves for his work. I think he's always been physically fit. So he knows like the, how to build. So I think he just used all of his training and mocap to be yeah. like, how do I become an animal he physically? He's just thick in this. And, and I guess I'm comparing him to Gollum. And I'm like, wow, Gollum's really been hitting the protein shakes. Cause he's just I mean, like no. so jacked. He's all forearm too. He's got yeah. like specific gains. <laughs> I do think that was a little bit of like he like the 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 eight movies were literally right at the same time like one of the last ones I think so I think that was really that was like the <laughs> second one I take that back it was the second one the, the next one came later after that dude I just give me more of Andy Serkis that that role and the one thing I thought of when he handed them vibranium was like oh yeah Sterling Sterling K Brown help you get that. Like, uh, like Randall from This Is Us, help you get that because like when you go to when you go to Black Panther, that was um, 
uh, Michael B. Jordan's dad, who yeah, and, and, and I also love the I love the idea of him coming right off the ape set and being like, "I've trained for this my entire life," <laughs> being like ready to be physically clawed. Oh He's my just, god, he is he is so good. But that is another one of those scenes where you watch it and you say, "Well, I'm sure this is going to pay off." Like again, I guess at that point, if that was like the first or second movie in the MCU, I'm like, "Wow, y'all are really biting off more than you can chew." But I think by that point, I just trusted the MCU. I mean, th this, again, is the franchise that really established itself as the post-credit people. And so mm -hmm. you, now you're getting basically three or four post-credit scenes within the context of the film, which it, I, I can understand can be overwhelming, but it's also like, look at all the candy we get. Look at all the things we have to talk about, about what the future could hold, which transitions us to our next segment, which is out of movie scenes, just so far as let's talk about what did surround this movie and the making of it, because as Jacqueline and Coy have hinted at, Joss Whedon, this movie, <laughs> I mean, anytime a movie-making experience makes you leave Twitter, you know that, that it was something, it, it, it yeah. was a thing. And with this, what, what was so cool about um, reading some of the research that our, uh, our beautiful researcher, Mark Hoffmeyer, put all this together. I'm reading this thing about how the the Thor the hot tub Thor scene was demanded by the studio. Joss Whedon had no idea what exactly we're doing, what we're setting up, but the studio demanded it. And so Joss Whedon used that farmhouse scene, which the studio wanted to cut as his collateral. He's like, okay, well, if I do this scene for you, then we got to leave the farmhouse sequence in there. And so I think that if we had seen a movie that didn't have hot tub Thor or the farmhouse scene, I think we get a lesser movie. Yeah, I, I agree. The farmhouse scene is my favorite entire sequence. It's actually one of my favorite sequences in the MCU. The farmhouse stuff is so, so important. And I, and I think that the hot tub thing is worth that cost. Like the, the deficit of one of my least favorite scenes is worth one of my favorite scenes. I, I, I think the MCU is like going to your favorite restaurant for me. My experience is every single time I go to this restaurant, it's absolutely delicious. And the Age of Ultron experience was just an adequate meal. So at worst, I'm just like, it was a time I went to the restaurant. So it's mm -hmm. worth having that delicious bite of the farmhouse for like the lukewarm bite that is the, the tripping balls Thor. But at mm -hmm. the same time, my standard for the restaurant is going to stay so very high that when I hear stories like Joss Whedon quitting Twitter, I'm more upset that it happened because of the transition of power. I think this had a lot to do with Disney just buying the, the, you know, the entire studio that was Marvel. This was the first officially Disney branded Marvel film, if memory serves. The ads felt yeah. a little more Disney-fied. Like, this was the first time I was like, oh, someone bought my restaurant. I'm aware that there's a new chef and they're going to put their balance. And like the Russo brothers became the new head chef. And I was all about that. Thank you, Russo brothers. Like that is a great chef to have in the back of the house. But while they're transitioning and the old chef's teaching the new chef all their, the tricks, I tasted the difference. It was a little salty and I'm aware of it. So that's, that's the issue I have with the Ultron. A little salty. That might be the greatest um, comparison I've ever heard on this show, Jacqueline. We've been doing this for a while now. Corey, yeah, that's a standing that, ovation from producer Lucy. That is that is something special. And and it does jive. Like, like I, I I that that plays with me. I understand the restaurant because it's not like you go to like like for me, I'm not gonna go to Cheesecake Factory, have one bad meal and be like, Well, I guess this restaurant's done. It's like, no, there's so much on the menu to enjoy. Just give it another shot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know if it's like the menu for me, actually, if I'm, if I'm thinking about it this way, I think this movie and how it ended up with the Joss Disney relationship is more interesting than anything that happened as far as like what went wrong or whether that this guy was their golden boy 
prior to this movie. And after this, he couldn't even like get a job with them doing anything. I just like, it was just like an instant souring of everyone's opinion of it. And the and they were pissed at him for making the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show. Like the fact that he couldn't be their person to only focus on the MCU, they were upset by that. And if you look at it, the Russos for the most part were solely focused on Avengers until like right before the end when they started doing some more production work. That's interesting. And and around the same time, you started to hear of directors attached to various standalone MCU films dropping out. And, and these yeah. are directors that are no, that are names, like Joss Whedon was. And I mean, when an Edgar Wright, or I, I think, um, was Ava DuVernay attached to one at one point? Um, and, and they start to, and then they say, oh, well, creative differences or whatever. And you say, okay, well, well, that happens. And it's more public because it is this gigantic franchise now. But I think people are wondering, well, who is really pulling the strings? It, it, it's like Ultron. It's, it's like, okay, well, who really is the, who's, who is in, in charge? Who is the robot controlling this world? Is it the director? the filmmaker you hired to do the job or is it the studio who has these 20 movies that you need to set up and you're kind of force feeding the director and so from the narratives that were coming out around that time it did seem like this is Disney slash the MCU saying what they want and I don't know if the Russos came in and just jived with them so well after that I don't know if Ryan Coogler came in and had a fantastic pitch if they had to sell Coogler on it but it it, it seems like we got more artistic voices into the MCU despite that. But I, I don't know if, if Avengers Ultra, Age of Ultron was the breaking point. I don't know I if it was, was either. Uh, I was just gonna say, I don't know if it was either, but I will say as far as the convincing Ryan Coogler, I can't attest to that. I did the Black Panther set visit and uh, Nate Moore who produced uh, Black Panther. And I think he was at least an EP or something maybe on Civil War. He um, talked about how he had to have a conversation with Ryan to be like, look, we we are going to support you in this story because he took convincing because he had heard that Marvel was a difficult place for directors to work creatively. I mean, this is after Ava had already walked away from the process of making that movie with them. Edgar Wright had left the Ant-Man situation um, I mean, yeah, there'd been already people saying, okay, is this really where I want to be making my next movie? Oh, Patty Jenkins with Thor, uh, The Dark, Dark World, yeah. she was originally going to do that. And then she left the project because of creative differences. So it's, it's really interesting to think of how that thing would have went differently um, had they maybe loosened up. I also think though the timing with this was Ike Perlmutter leaving soon thereafter with his sure. like his strong arm of control because if you look at you look at this movie there wasn't even Black Widow toys because that guy was such a specific yeah. I'm not going to get into it um, and it was it was the, basically just for a little bit of context it was Perlmutter Perlmutter was was running but the the TV division I think but then he yeah. was kind of overstepping his bounds somewhat with Feige into the MCU and so when you didn't have that one figurehead looking over all of it you had the TV versus the movies for a while it, it, it there was just that conflict that needed to be resolved and so Perlmutter oh he was uh, originally Feige's boss though there yeah, was he was a overseeing time everything where, yeah he was overseeing everything That's and then they made there him TV go. yeah like like at first he was overseeing everything and Kevin Feige was like a lower rung producer and then they moved him over to TV and then they're like, just get this guy out of it, it. Didn't he buy like all imitation brand soda or something <laughs> like the cat? Like, like, when a Coke he and Diet Coke. He would buy generic soda for the premieres. He, he refused to check. buy Coca-Cola. These, these movies are making a billion dollars. He's yeah. like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's go to Costco real quick. Let's be easy on this. <laughs> are we talking like Shasta? 
Yeah. We're, Shasta. we're talking Shasta. At a Hollywood premiere. Yes. Oh, no. I'm not going to throw RC Cola in. The uh, Royal Crown has its own thing. Cheerwine has its own demographic. That is a quality soda. But, yeah, when you start talking about your your Dr. Perkies of the world, then you start oh. get, getting into a Pearl Mutter cheap territory. But I think that's yeah. how we got Ryan Coogler and the directors with such vision in yes, phase three yes, was yes. we had Kevin Feige saying like, hey, hey, that guy's gone. Talk to me now. And then you get your Taikas, your Ryan Coogler's, your geniuses that have vision and can live by the rules of this. Because that's what's so hard about Marvel is you're playing by both the showrunner standard, which is Kevin Feige, your director's vision and living in the the giant moving train and machine that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I think that some of the best directors can't do that, even if they're the best directors. But I also think you have to have a really beautiful way to handle people, which Kevin Feige does, which is which is what the MCU is more about the incredible machine that Kevin Feige has been able to do as this benevolent uh, leader of people. And I, and I think that when Ike was there, you got your Age of Ultrons, you got your not getting a Black Widow movie, you got your insane John Cheadle choice, you got your uh, Rachel, uh, what, what's her name? Um, Rebecca Ferguson not getting to be the villain in Iron Man 3 because he thought the fire breathing guy would sell more toys. Why did that guy yeah. breathe fire? We'll never know. Um, there's just so many, so many things that just, there's a little moment that it's tainted in the MCU. And I think this lives right around there. Okay. So, um, to, to kind of put a button on the industry talk, I, I do have to go to back to the world of opinions and say, with everything that we know about the making of this movie, with everything we know about watching the film, where does this rank in our top MCU movies of all time? Because Coy Jacqueline, I have seen lists that have this not only in the double figures, but in the 20s, where it's like people have Thor the Dark World and then Avengers Age of Ultron and then The Incredible Hulk. I think The Incredible Hulk doesn't get enough love either. But this movie, I upon re and I, I texted Lucy, as soon as I finished watching Ultron, it immediately went into Civil War because I hit the button to put it into Civil War because I wanted to see Captain America Civil War. And I made it through most of that movie the same night. And I was like, I don't know which one I actually like better. I, I like the introduction of Black Panther and Spider-Man in Civil War, but man, Ultron held up a lot more than I thought it did. So I'm going to put this at least in my top 10. Uh, I don't know. I think it's 10, but if it isn't 10, it's definitely like very low teens, like 11 okay. or 12. And I only say that because I like weird things like the Doctor Strange movie that everybody hates. Like I dig that thing like none other. I love, love, love that movie. Is that your favorite um, one? What's your favorite MCU film, Jacqueline? I mean, come on. <laughs> Black Panther. <laughs> like, really? I'm not going to say it for First it. First of all. <laughs> I guess it's racist for you to presume, but it's yes. also like beyond belief for me to say anything different. No, actually, because when you said, come on, the first thing I thought of was, okay, wait, which movie has more naked Thor in it than... No. <laughs> uh, Since you just said weird, I went went. Guardians, so I would have guessed wrong too. You're like, I like weird. I'm like, Guardians? Guardians 1? Maybe no. Y'all are ridiculous. No. We're so progressive for it. Uh, no, Black. I'm sorry. You, I'm gonna Mr. go with the Gander, movie you're... that was that had Kendrick Lamar on the soundtrack. Yes, that is yeah, definitely that's... my favorite MCU movie. I, I will get. I will give a nod to to run the jewels for uh, for inspiring <laughs> us all with the first Black Panther trailer. Um, yeah. Black Panther's probably in my top five now. It. I don't. God. It. Coy, this is tough. Find me some time. Do you have your so, favorite? So if I'm going sexy weird, I'm standing by my guardians. Uh, but that, they're not my number one. But like it's my number one sexy weird. I think my number one is Winter Soldier. 
Um, and then I think Guardians and Iron Man 1 dance at number two, um, just because without Iron Man, we don't have the flavor of the entire universe. And if you rewatch it, it doesn't feel like a 12-year-old film. Um, this, to be honest, and this is going to, I'm so sorry, internet, this probably lands around number 20 for me in the entire MCU. But if you looked macro, that means it's in my top 50 of like movies because I love the MCU so much that like, I got to give the caveat just because this is 20 in the MCU means it's still in my upper echelon of film, but look at how many MCU movies are amazing. Like winter soldier, civil war, iron man. I think iron man three is genius guardians. Like it's just because of the goodness it's See, that's the that's the weirdness the here is like i don't like the first captain america that much i don't like pretty much all the iron man except for the first one that much i still by the way when i say don't like them that much i mean i'm not obsessed living for every second of it like other ones but but i also like really like the first thor movie and so many people hate that movie like i lived for the first thor movie that was I fun thought that was that was a fun one excellent um, um but I, yeah but i didn't yeah, dig I, ant-man as much I, I I still stick with the first Iron Man Avengers. Um, I mean, Infinity War and Endgame are great movies too, but Civil War is way up there. Black Panther's way up there. Producer Lucy, do you have a favorite MCU movie of all time? I saw you go crazy when Koi said Guardians of the Galaxy. Is that going to be your final answer? Yeah, I'm actually I'm I'm Koi light. I am I'm the same. Iron Man and Guardians are tied. Iron Man as a film. I think would be the only one that Martin Scorsese wouldn't talk shit about, <laughs> like, you know, on a filmmaker level. But um, it really is incredible. John Favreau is a genius. And uh, Guardians, to me, I love space stuff. And I love, to me, I'm a big fantasy lover, sci-fi lover. So that felt the most out there. And mm. I just love ensemble, you know, quote unquote, freaks in a movie together. So watching that was so much fun. I think if you Did apply you like all my criticisms. Yeah, I I, uh, I I didn't when I first watched it, if you remember, and then I was like, I'm a changed woman. I love it now. <laughs> yeah. So if you apply all my criticisms, I think to Age of Ultron to my top three, I think Winter Soldier being my favorite, it allows for comedy, but serious action with world building, with escalation. It has even more villains than Ultron, but it doesn't fall into a lot of the tropes that this one, the third act of this is just another gray minions with a space hole. Instead of the hole going up, the hole's coming down. It's the same third act. If you apply the my problems with comedy and you look at Guardians, Guardians builds an entire team instantaneously and has the weird humor of, you know, a Joss Whedon type humor through James Gunn. And it doesn't have weird throwaway ADR lines. If you look at the pacing issues, I think in this one, Iron Man, which started the whole damn thing, is paced like a masterpiece. And as is Avengers, this movie is two minutes longer than Avengers and feels four times as long. There's just issues. It's a salty dish. The salty. I did dish not say that it was nachos. a perfect movie. I said that it achieved the. Imp- we done the impossible. Come on now, <laughs> Jacqueline. If we you were, that feel, makes us mighty. I kind of feel like uh, like like Jack and I are Koi's parents, and and we all took our son <laughs> to see this comic book movie, and the parents just had a good time at the movie, and our kid seems bummed out about it for some reason. If I, I mean, wasn't very- a professional comic nerd, I would I would be very with. You. If I was going into this like yay, then yes, but I have to be scrutiny because the bar is so high. If we let the bar slip. It all falls apart. It's a very delicate puzzle. 
Yeah. It's a delicate I, ecosystem, huh, I, boy? I, I, I do. I like <laughs> upon rewatch. I just, I'll never forget Winter Soldier is just one of those movies when Christian and I were, were doing Schmoes reviews. I, I had the gall to give Winter Soldier like a 3.8 out of 5 Schmoes as, as opposed to like 5 out of 5 everybody else was giving it. And I just got crushed online. <laughs> Back when the only place people could find you was the YouTube comment section. I do have some trivia for Adventures Age of Ultron, the year it came out at the box office. But before I get to that little trivia tease, Koi, John Drew, it was a pleasure as always to see you once again, hear your smiling face, enjoy all your criticisms, all of your love for this movie and the MCU. Where can all the kids find you out there and what are you working on right now? Uh, so I host a show called Comic Book Shopping because if you guys couldn't tell by this rant, and I didn't even talk about how Stan Lee had to make Thor spin the hammer so there were physics to actually allow him to fly versus Superman who just flies and how the physics of this film really bothered me because of Stan Lee's integrity. Didn't even get into that because I don't want to go that nerdy on you guys. That is the realm mm -hmm. I like to live in. Uh, I do a show called Comic Book Shopping where I bring the people that create this art to the comic book store and I show them the source material. So I read about 300 comics a month. So I have a Rolodex of everything new and old and then I show people stuff they might like. So while I'm interviewing them, I'm going through my Rolodex of comics and then I curate a list of things they might enjoy to try to convert people to comic book people. Uh, I also have a show called KoiCast, which is a podcast about everything comic book news. I do a show on YouTube called Koi Cubed. I'm a narcissist. There's a theme here. Uh, and then a bunch of other stuff on my YouTube. And then uh, my Patreon, I do reviews that people select. So if they think I might like or not like something, I review those and I rate every single comic I read. So of the hundreds of books I read, I give a rating for each and every one of those so people can save some money and discover some new comic books. So Patreon, YouTube, podcasts, I'm all over the internet with comic book stuff. But most of all, I want to say before I lose this audience that won't look at me because I scrutinize this film, I love this movie. I just think, like Jacqueline said, the ecosystem. If we let any litter clutter the beauty that is the MCU. We worked so hard to get here. If we didn't have Blade, if we didn't have X-Men, we didn't have Spider-Man leading the path to Iron Man 1, we wouldn't be in this glorious golden age of superheroes. So if we let we let the Iron Man 2s fall through the cracks, then we suddenly are living in a X-Men 3 age, and I will not stand for another X-Men Origins Wolverine. I won't stand for it. I feel like we're arguing about the Sokovia Accords. Like, we need oversight from the studio. No, no, we can't have the studio be the one that dictates everything. Um, go support Koi's Patreon um, because now everybody can go there and donate a little bit of the bucks to a very hardworking friend of mine every month. But more importantly, once you do that, you can demand that he just keeps rewatching Age of Ultron over and over and over again. Just make him keep reviewing it week after week after week. If I if I don't give you anything inside the MCU, Koi, so I'm taking away agents of shield and all that other stuff what's like a streaming recommendation that you can throw to people who if if they liked age of ultron or maybe they had an issue with age of ultron and you say okay well here's something kind of like that that was done better um you know i my my streaming poll was something completely outside of comic books uh, oh, i was going to recommend a show that is trying to get a fourth season renewal that is amongst my favorite bit of content in the history of anything uh the show kingdom on netflix is a show about masculinity in a very new light and it doesn't look at it as toxic or positive it doesn't look like it doesn't look at it with a judgmental lens and it's about fighters and i feel like the mma community gets judged very broily i feel like the world of fighting is seen as as you know uh blood sport but there's so much art in martial arts that doesn't get looked at and this, this show takes its time to really look at this family dynamic about the world of fighters, about this incredible culture that a lot of people immediately judge, much like comic books. So my parallel is I grew up looking like Flash Thompson, but I think like Peter Parker. 
and I've been judged as both a bro and a nerd. So I feel like Kingdom allows my bro side to get some some levity and it allows me to go like, no, no, we're not monsters. We just punch each other because we love it for the sport. So uh, MMA means a lot to me. And the show Kingdom was unceremoniously canceled after three seasons because it was on audience networks, which I didn't know existed. Uh, it was like a direct TV only show. Now it's doing gangbusters on Netflix for good reason. It's up there with Breaking Bad for me as far as caliber of show. Frank Grillo is a powerhouse. I was going to say, I knew I, once you said audience network, ironically, I knew what show you were talking about. Is that the one with crossbones? Okay, and I got it. Jonathan Tucker, my boy, Jonathan Tucker from back home. Like he's a Boston boy that should be a multi Emmy award winning champion. And he plays this incredible powerhouse. Uh, the show is just, it's so perfect. And it's one of those things that when people find it, they're like, why didn't I see this five years ago? Save it before it's gone. Save kingdom, kingdom on Netflix. Changed my life. That's odd because my streaming recommendation, as it is each and every week, was going to be Bloodsport. Uh, you can find Avengers Age of Ultron on Fandango Now and Voodoo currently. Jacqueline Coley, where can all the kids find you and all of your tweets and witticisms and articles and all the other hard work you're doing? <laughs> Well, you can always head over to RottenTomatoes.com to read about what I'm writing, usually about this year's Oscar season. Very interesting season. Um, and also you can follow me on anywhere at that Jacqueline, because I'm that girl that talks about movies. Koi, this was really fun, sir. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say that. I, I had a great time. I cannot wait to be doing a movie that we see the same way, but I don't feel like I have to tarnish because of my opinion. Like, I'm not like, it's almost rotten, but we say all the same things. I just have to say they're more aggressively. <laughs> We're going to agree in a movie and it's going to be a jaunt. And I'm very excited. Well, this was a blast. let's see if y'all yeah. agree on the trivia question. So 2015 worldwide box office, four movies performed better at the worldwide box office than Avengers Age of Ultron, which is weird to say. One of them was obviously Star Wars The Force Awakens. Can y'all name the other two movies that outperformed Avengers Age of Ultron at the worldwide box office? I think it was Jurassic World that year. Coy Jandru is on the board. Yes. Got nothing. Okay. No, no I'm not. Uh, I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you all a one-word hint and I think you'll get it. Vroom. Cars? Oh, Fast and the Furious. One of the Fast, oh, Fast and Furious. Yeah, it was one of the Fast and I can't remember which one, but it was one of them. It was the I want to uh, say seven. Furious Seven. Yes. Jacqueline, was. your 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 guess was the best. <laughs> Cars. <laughs> Cars. I mean rooms. <laughs> I love that. Um, y'all can email us and give us your suggestions. We love hearing from you. Uh, tell us what you love about the show. Tell us what movies you want. Let us know. What, what do you think is a rotten movie that everybody else thinks is fresh? What do all your friends think is rotten? What does the tomato meter say rotten that you think is a great movie? Hit us up anytime. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. That's RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. Next week. I'm just here to make Coy jealous because he's really missing out, Jacqueline. We are talking about the movie. You want to talk about box office? You want to talk about worldwide box office? You want to talk about blue people plugging their tails into <laughs> flying pterodactyls? Then you're talking about James Cameron's <laughs> Avatar. Did I sell Man, it? Man, I love Fern Gully. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know what's really funny? All I'm thinking about is this Big Bang Theory episode where they talk about the fact that they put their little tails on the animals and they put their little tails on each other when mm -hmm. they have sex. They don't wash them. <laughs> so, like the tails are like, <laughs> like, by the way, that's that thought has lived rent free in my mind for way too long.
I now cannot, you think of James Cameron, you think of that arc. <laughs> yes, that's what I think of. Uh, that is next week's show, folks. So you have Avatar to look forward to. Koi, once again, thank you so much for everybody here, the hardworking team behind the scenes at Rotten Tomatoes, Christian Rubalcaba, Lucy Bruckner, our glorious producer, Jacqueline Coley. I am merely Mark Ellis saying thank you for listening to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. Click that like button if you can. Rate, review us, all that good stuff. And until next week, remember, kids, wash your tails. Ha, ha, ha.